Xtalks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the X Talks Food Podcast. I'm Sydney Perlmutter, Senior Food Industry Journalist and Webinar Moderator at xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Aisha Rashid and Vera Kovacevic. Thanks for coming today. So I'm going to start us off with a story about a couple IPOs recently, which are initial public offerings from food companies, including the Cava Group and Branch Out Food. And these might give the impression of a reawakening of the IPO market after a seemingly quiet year. However, EY's latest global IPO trends report for the second quarter of 2023 suggests otherwise. While a few IPOs have captured media attention, the broader U.S. IPO scene remains relatively muted. Worldwide, Q2 of 2023 witnessed 310 IPOs, marking a 3% drop year over year. In the US, only 31 IPOs were observed during this period, down 17%. And intriguingly, the IPO count in the Americas stands at 77 year to date, mirroring the figures from the same period last year. For context, over a thousand firms debuted publicly in 2021, and the current year has demonstrated a sharp dip influenced by rising interest rates, supply chain hiccups, and geopolitical shifts. As for the food industry, three companies have already gone public this year, and several others are in talks to do so. Whether Impossible Foods will close an IPO by the end of the year remains to be seen, but here are the three food companies that have announced IPOs this year, including Cava Group, Branch Out Foods, and Instacart. So I'll start off with Cava Group. So this is a Mediterranean fast casual chain, and it achieved a notable $4.7 billion valuation after a successful market introduction on June 15th. Upon its debut on the New York Stock Exchange, shares were priced at $42 each, almost twice the IPO's set price of $22, marking an 89% increase. Through this offering, Cava sold approximately 14.4 million shares, securing $318 million. Cava was founded by three Greek or origin friends. I'm not going to pronounce their last names, but I'll tell you that their names are Ted, Ike, and Dimitri. They launched their maiden restaurant, Cava Meze, in Rockville, Maryland in 2006. Within a mere two years uh, from its inception, Cava began offering its distinctive dips and spreads in nearby grocery outlets, so they've really capitalized on retail as well. The quick service restaurant sector has consistently reported robust sales in the last few months, even amidst rising concerns of an impending U.S. recession. This year has witnessed a notable, sorry, this year has witnessed notable listed counterparts like Chipotle, Mexican Grill, and Shake Shack enjoying a surge of over 48% each. And this growth surpasses that of fast food giants McDonald's and restaurant brands International or RBI. Second IPO that I'll talk about is Branch Out Food Inc, which is a budding natural food brand with a proprietary technology for producing and marketing dehydrated plant-based foods, and it finalized its IPO also in June. The company sold around 1.2 million common stock shares at a price of $6 each, yielding gross proceeds of approximately $7.14 million before factoring in underwriting reductions, commissions, and anticipated offering costs. Starting June 16th, 
sorry, starting June 16th, the shares of Branch Out have been available for trading on the NASDAQ capital market under the uh, BOF ticker. The funds acquired from the IPO will be channeled by the company towards settling debts, bolstering working capital, and covering general business expenses, inclusive of operational costs and capital investments. Founded in 2017, Branch Out Food, sorry, Founded in 2017, Branch Out has risen to the top of the natural food industry. The company is equipped with a proprietary technology platform tailored for the production and promotion of dehydrated plant-based foods. The brand holds licensed uh, rights from an external entity for an, an innovative dehydration technique specifically crafted to dry and process delicate fruits and vegetables like avocados, bananas, and more. And lastly, I think the most anticipated and talked about IPO is Instacart. And in its, in, in its NASDAQ introduction earlier uh, last week, Instacart made a notable entrance initiating trading at roughly 40% above its IPO price. After starting with a $30 IPO price on uh, last Monday, Instacart shares swiftly soared by up to 43%, touching over $40 shortly after trading started at around noon. Shares then later stabilized, reflecting a more modest 12% increase. This shift nudged Instacart's market capitalization to approximately $11.1 billion, up from its initial $9.9 billion. However, it's still significantly lower than its $39 billion pre-funding evaluation achieved in a March 2021 private fundraising round. Established by Apoorva Mehta, Max Malin, and Brandon Leonardo, Instacart made its debut in the San Francisco Bay Area in 2012, facilitating food deliveries from neighborhood grocery stores. The following year, Instacart unveiled the Express Membership Program, later renamed as Instacart Plus, providing customers with unlimited free deliveries for a normal monthly subscription. Instacart's demand, of course, skyrocketed dur during the COVID-19 lockdowns, and talks of an IPO have been rampant ever since. Um, I didn't know actually <laughs> that Instacart was, you know, over 10 years old uh, and to think how things have changed so much in terms of how people grocery shop since then, they really had their, you know, finger on the pulse uh, in, in 2012 to have sort of understood that grocery shopping may change um, along with technological advancements and, and just the way people shop in general. So good for instacart and finally they've achieved this ipo but yeah i want to get your thoughts on sort of the variety of companies that we witnessed here and um of course there's only have been three food ipos this year are you um you know surprised that there have only been three you're not surprised just given you know the economy at the moment and yeah what do you what do you make of these companies and had you ever heard of them before um, yeah, I'm actually pretty surprised that, um, only th we're looking only at three companies. Uh, it makes sense, even though I am surprised given, you know, the economic situation, um, currently, but it's still like su such a small number. And, um, I have heard of, uh, Instacart, of course, having used it myself during the pandemic. And yes, uh, like sitting, like you were saying, they were very well positioned, um, during that time, um, with their business model. And I think it was a very forward thinking, um, concept at the time. Um, they were when did 2012. So yeah, over 10 years ago. Um, and, I, I'm actually surprised that they are just going now. Um, 
for you know their IPO. So I, I didn't realize that they they weren't publicly traded, but given how big they've become, so I, I guess that's the surprise to see them on the list now. Um, because I actually thought they would have um, already been publicly traded before this. So yeah, that was, that was a surprise. And um, yeah, the other ones I haven't heard, I think I've heard of branch out food, I think. Um, But uh, yeah, so it's a plant-based company, then that's not surprising, of course. Um, Even though I, uh, we've talked about on the show, Sydney, you've, um, you know, discussed how plant, the plant-based market and plant-based companies have kind of been, you know, uh, dipping, so to say, but, uh, you know, the market is still strong. Um, it's still a big sector. And so that's not surprising to see a plant-based company on the list. And Cava group is very interesting. I haven't heard of them at all. Um, you know, I love dips and I know a lot of people do too. So I think, uh, you know what, now I'm thinking, I think I have seen Cava around actually anyway. Um, so yeah, very three very different companies, um, and very very cool in their own ways. Yeah, I was also surprised. I haven't heard of Cava Group considering how high their valuation was. Yeah, like that's extremely high. And you're right, Aisha. I think different companies have a different strategy as to like when they choose to go public. Mm. There's no like. Um, uh once you reach this revenue you can go public i think it's yeah, just whenever they they're decide, like whatever they think it's the most profitable for them that's what i think um hmm. so i think every company has a different strategy and i i don't think there's um a specific like uh uh achievement they have to have before they can go public i mean i'm sure there are some that they need to overcome but yeah these Three different companies are um, very different in size. I think the smallest one is Branch Out Food. Branch Out Food to me sounds sounds like it's just past the startup phase. Like it sounds like a really small company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been sort of just researching why um, you know IPOs take so long, um, and yeah, I, I mean it, once. It's also like the 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 company, even if there are talks about going public, once a company does go public, then everything about it, including like its finances and its business operations is then open to like government and public scrutiny. And there are also there are audit, audits that are conducted and, and annual reports. And now they have like stock, like shareholders to um, speak to, even if things are going poorly. So I imagine that it's, it's not, a, you know, they don't take it lightly and it's quite a long road in terms of deciding, you know, when to go public and, and whether they should in the first place but obviously that like influx of cash that they get when they do is a is a huge upside um but there are downsides as well including um you know share prices not or going down immediately or having like a huge increase and then dipping you know the next day um it's very volatile um but you know an ipo at first it might look like a really good means of making money but then you know some some flaws become apparent but this shouldn't dissuade a company from from going public though because oftentimes it, it is for the best but yeah i was intrigued by sort of the variation of, of food companies um but also not surprised how few there had been this year and of course the year is not over yet so we still may see more in the future 
All right, so moving on to our next story. So in recent times, there's been sort of a flurry of questions circulating about canola oil, and particularly regarding whether canola oil is banned in Europe. And the answer is not a yes or no. Uh, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. And while Europe hasn't completely prohibited canola oil, it has certainly placed the oil under a microscope and it's enacted stricter regulations around the sale of oils and fats, which impacts how canola oil is viewed and sold. And such decisions always have reasons behind them, of course, and diving deeper into this topic will offer a much clearer understanding of Europe's perspective and answer the question, is canola oil banned in Europe? So before I answer that, um, I'll talk a little bit about the history of canola oil, which is actually a lot younger than I thought it was. So it originates from the seeds of the canola plant. Uh, canola oil it found its beginnings in Canada in the 1970s. Praised for its low saturated fat content and richness in omega-3 fatty acids, it has become a staple in numerous kitchens, mine included. Early rapeseed-derived canola oil had high levels of uric acid, which can be harmful in substantial quantities. But to address this, Canadian scientists embarked on a journey to crossbreed different rapeseed strains. They named their innovative product canola, drawing inspiration from the phrase Canadian oil. This new oil is obtained by heating its seeds, crushing them, and then processing them in similar ways to corn, sunflower, and soybeans. And the end product, the familiar golden liquid that we can identify as canola oil today. So in terms of whether it's banned in Europe, Rumors of a European canola oil ban first emerged in 2018 when widespread online discussions suggested that canola oil had been prohibited in Europe due to its allegedly hazardous fatty acid content. The word on the street was that the EU had labeled canola oil as toxic and carcinogenic. The EU's heightened scrutiny of canola oil is largely due to concerns about uric acid like I mentioned, and research has shown the potentially detrimental effects of uric acid, including possible heart damage. Despite uh, most global canola oil sources being low in uric acid, Europe enforces stringent standards. The European Food Safety Authority, or EFSA, has voiced concerns regarding uric acid, but stopped short of calling for an outright ban on canola oil. So still, the question of whether canola oil is banned in Europe reverberates, fueled by global debate on the oil's safety and its compliance within uh, international uric acid standards. In terms of some of this research, um, canola oil's health risks have stirred some debate. So some research suggests potential risk like heart disease and inflammation attributed to its high omega-6 fatty acids. In comparison to European favorites like olive oil, canola oil has advantages like a higher smoke point, which makes it suitable for frying, but lacks robust antioxidants found in alternatives. Still, the absence of beneficial antioxidants in an imbalanced omega-6 to omega-3 ratio has raised some eyebrows. And not only that, but also sustainability is a bit of an issue as well. So the environmental consequences of producing canola oil are significant since its cultivation demands extensive water and pesticide use. And not to mention its transport further increases its carbon footprint. However, you could say that about any oil or, or food in general, but further heightening the concerns are the high temperatures and chemical solvents used in canola oil processing. Despite some brands pushing for organic and non-GMO canola oil, its overall sustainability remains disputed. 
As with many products, consumers should be aware also of greenwashing. So companies might portray canola oil as a wholesome choice, glossing over its potential downsides. And it's crucial to read labels and investigate company claims. This is a common issue, though, in the broader food industry that consumers should be aware of. So, uh, you know, to answer the question of whether canola oil is banned in Europe, the answer remains that while it is an outright ban, it's closely monitored due to concerns around its uric acid content. As consumers, understanding the potential health and environmental implications of products is vital. Of course, the final choice of cooking oil is personal, influenced by health considerations, culinary preferences, and environmental impact. So it's up to each individual to determine where canola oil fits into their diet, of course, always backed by research and knowledge. So this was actually the first I was hearing of, um, you know, canola oil being potentially um, dangerous um, and, and uric acid um, as well. And I started to think, you know, the EU is, is particularly stringent in terms of food bans and, and what they allow and what they don't, much more than here in Canada and in, especially in the US. And I'm wondering um, if you guys think that maybe they're a little too strict in terms of um, you know, these, these regulations. And obviously, you know, it's it's not completely banned, but they're they're a lot more stringent about canola oil than than we are here. Um, in North America. So what, what do you think about this? And, and had you sort of heard of the potentially hazardous, uh, you know, uh, aspect of canola oil before? No, I never have. Actually, I'm quite surprised. But now that I think about it, um, I have family in Europe, which I visit them frequently, and I mostly see sunflower seed oil and olive oil on the shelves. I, in fact, I don't even recall seeing canola oil. Um, so yeah <laughs> uh, you've definitely given me a lot to think about i do think it's very strange how um it's used a lot in north america and not in europe um yeah very very strange to me uh yeah so i also wasn't aware of uh, any of these concerns around canola oil um i i really do like the history that you um brought forth uh you know with the canadian connection there but um it might be tainted now <laughs> unfortunately uh so uh just i mean the controversy that seems to be uh, erupting around this oil um and yeah i mean like you said sydney europe has always been sort of ahead of the game in terms of uh ahead or yeah more stringent in terms of how they uh, regulate food uh, compared to in North America and maybe other places and uh, well yes other places around the world as well so I think um, I don't know if I would say too strict because we've seen that you know some things that have been banned there eventually make their way you know to to our continent here and um, eventually people start looking at it here too and uh, bans start being discussed and things like that. So I think their approach is, you know, just to not take a chance with things that might have a high potential to pose a health risk. And I think that's, that, that's a good thing. Um, and uh, yeah, this is very interesting about this specific compound. It, it's it's uh, 
erucic acid or uric acid? I think it's You're right. I actually had realized I had been pronouncing yeah. it wrong. Yes, it's erucic acid. Erucic acid, yeah. So this is like a very high, um, what do you call it? It's, it's, a, it's a very... It's, it's a monounsaturated omega uh, fatty acid. And so that could be a potential health risk. And uh, yeah, uh, I mean, if again, if the growing body of evidence, the scientific evidence grows to suggest that this definitely that this is actually, you know, toxic or carcinogenic, then yeah, I mean, I think the EU is is onto something. Probably they've probably seen something, some things, and so that's why they've flagged they've uh, flagged it. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, when and if they do impose an outright ban on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, quite a popular question um, among people. It's a popular they know oil it's in North banned, America. Like Vera, I know you said that it's not so much in, in some places in Europe, but oh my God, in North America, it's like. A staple in many food items, um, commercial food items, and I know a lot of people, you know, cook with it at home. So it's everywhere, and uh, I can't imagine what a ban here would look like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people use it um, sort of interchangeably with vegetable oil, and pretty sure I have canola oil, and 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 I've I've fried with it before. I've used it in like salad dressings before. Um, yeah, but I think like everything we talk about that could be potentially dangerous, it's, it's typically, you know, as long as you're consuming it in moderation, moderation yeah. it's likely okay. And I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, how the European diet just differs a lot yeah. from the North American diet and how there's likely more, um, you know, fried foods that are consumed in in north america as opposed mm -hmm. to europe and i know that europe is very olive oil centric and yeah. um you know of course all these varieties of oil wouldn't exist if they didn't each offer something different and um you know helpful to either the cooking process or the taste and the one thing that you can scrutinize olive oil for is that it has like a low smoking point smoking or point, yeah. right so it's it's not as ideal for frying but of course it's it's likely the you know quote unquote healthiest or most best tasting oil as well um but i was i was intrigued about how young and new of a product relatively new of a product that that this oil is because you yeah. think oil you know it's it's been around forever but no it's 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 pretty new and i i found it interesting too that it you know was created here in Canada. Here in Canada, made in Canada. So yeah. <laughs> it can't be all that bad, I hope. <laughs> no, I know. We're not malicious at We're all. We're not. Yeah, <laughs> we, I mean, I think we, we take good measures to try to protect people here. And, you know, I so I hope it's not so, so bad. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the problem in North America is the culture is very different when it comes to food. It's very commercial-based, right? So it's always about finding the next – historically, it's been, you know, for in the past couple of decades – Historically, it's been about finding cheap and uh, convenience. It's been about cost and convenience. Mm -hmm. I think we're definitely shifting away from that with um, so many, you know, new startups and just a wave of, you know, um, health consciousness and, and things like that. But unfortunately, yeah, in America, it's been, you know, how do we do this for cheap and how do we make it convenient? And so that's why we've seen a lot of cheap oils pop up. Um, mm -hmm. and still used in a lot of stuff like palm oil and uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, 
it's it's a totally different kind of an environment here, but uh, one that is changing for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the end of this episode of the X Talks Food Podcast. If you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the X Talks Food Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X-Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalk.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.